You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Frances Dee Sellers, a senior writer here at The Post. Today we're going to take another step towards explaining America, and I'm joined by somebody who very much personifies the American dream, Hamdi Ulukaya. He's a Turkish immigrant of Kurdish descent who helped bring Greek yogurt to our tables here in the States. Hamdi Ulukaya, a very warm welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you so much, Francis. I'm honored to be with you. We're honored to have you. And I wanted to start with a couple of origin stories. And, and let's start by going back 30 years to when you came here with, I think, $3,000 in your hands and you came to go to school. You came as a, a student. Did you think then that you would be launching a business and launching your future here? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> you were going to take me that long. Actually, I, I, I start to remember the day I arrived. Um, and the first week I, have arri I arrived in October 1994, um, I went to Adelphi University um, in Long Island and to learn English. So I settled in that uh, English as a second language program. And ironically, this year they asked me to come and, and speak in their graduation. So I started bringing back to those memories that when, when I arrived. Uh, what I can summarize is almost on every immigrants or every refugees who's arriving, sometimes I would say to every students, Mine happened very quickly. I, I think within two months, uh, I ended up making the decision and coming. Is this, this feeling of getting lost and unknown what the future is going to look like. On my case, I was day by day. I didn't realize what was my next week was going to be like and, and a month was going to be look like. And all I wanted to do is learn this language as fast as possible so I can understand people I can get around, uh, around the town. Wow, uh, so to that linguistic. It was very important to you to learn the language and, and figure out how you belonged. Exactly. And business would have been, if somebody had asked me at that time, you know, years from now, you will be in business, I would probably have the biggest laugh in that very <laughs> <laughs> So then tell me about the beginning of Chobani. I think you started with feta cheese before yogurt, didn't you? But how did, how did Chobani start? So I come from as you said in the beginning, in the eastern part of Turkey, yeah. on the northeastern province called Erzincan. So where I grew up, we were nomads. We uh, we sheep herders and cheesemakers in a small scale. So that's my, my background. First time I saw a big city when I went to university in Ankara. So I'm from a very rural community in northeastern part of Turkey. So when I went to upstate New York, I worked in a small farm, I felt like I was home. And if it, it, you know, the first time I, I could breathe after New York City, I was lost. I could breathe. I could, I could feel like I'm in a similar environment and interacting with farmers and people in that community really made me feel home. I think that was the time I start to, started to believe that I could stay here. I, I, I can make it here. I can live here. Um, that experience in the farm, later on bringing my family's cheese to, you know, specialty stores here. Later on, my, with my father's encouragement, maybe I can have a small cheese making operations, started that journey. Um, I was in my cheese plant in upstate New York in 2005, looking through my junk mails in the evening and a cold January evening, I would say. And 
and I come across this flyer that said fully equipped yoga plan for sale. It's just everybody receives this kind of you know mails whether they want to sell home or car or whatever it is. I didn't make a big deal out of it. I throw it to garbage can and later on I picked it up like maybe half an hour later and just wondered what this was all about and called the number. It turned out that it was a plant was closed by Kraft that they were making yogurt that uh, they got out of yogurt business and this this plant was idle and and they were selling as a real estate. Just out of curiosity, next day I, I went to see it. Um, it took me four hours to find it. It was middle of nowhere. And and it was it, it was what they say it was. It was 70 years old, old factory. At some point, you can tell it was a lot of life in there. And there were about 55 people were closing the factory and just wrapping things up and turning off, um, you know, the, the lines and all that kind of stuff. And something, and I always knew that there was no good yogurt in this country. Like it, it, coming from Turkey, I realized it, it, I just couldn't understand why just you just couldn't go to the store and get a cup of yogurt. I mean, you could do it in New York City, but you couldn't do it where I lived in upstate New York. So I knew there was no good yogurt and I could make that. Uh, but outside of that, I had no other data point that this thing would work. And I called uh, my lawyer and I said, I just saw a plant. And this is a person that would help me on my cheese plant is in a local um, attorney. He tried so hard to convince me that this was not a good idea. And this would be <laughs> a failure. <laughs> and he said, if, if, if a largest food company in this country uh, would get out of yogurt business, close this factory, it's like, who, who are you? Who do you think you are that you could make something out of this? Um, and he made a lot of sense, but I still followed my instincts. And uh, a true SBA loan, like you, you mentioned, uh, a loan guarantee and through a small bank in the community. I had this key for this plant in 2005, August. And the first thing I did is hire four people from that 55 that they let go. And that's my Chobani journey started. And I did not have really clear idea uh, what I would do with this, I had no really resources, much resources to spend, you know, and build something or buy some equipment and all that kind of stuff. Uh, all I had was um, there's no good yogurt in this country. Um, I see something valuable in this community and these people. I, it was very clear when I visited the first time and I loved it. And I had this instincts that I could do something with this. Um, and that's where my really hard time started. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I worked for two, two and a half years in that plant for, uh, for those four people, uh, four factory workers, which is three of them are still in, in Chobani in there with us, um, and figure out how I can make a perfect cup of yogurt. And, and I came up with the name, uh, design the cup, or all the things that any you know food startups or any startups would get involved, uh, and I launched it in October two thousand seven, uh, Chobani, and I know we don't have enough time, and I could tell this story, and I I said this all the time. Yeah. By two thousand twelve, <laughs> we were a billion in sales in that old factory. We had over a thousand people, and we had not raised a penny to do so. We did it all by ourselves. I think the, so, the all I all I put the only reason I say this I put the bragging on the side I had no 
business experience. And as I said, if somebody told me when I arrived that I would be doing this, I would probably laugh because I was not only involved in business, not only I had no experience with it, I didn't even like it. I didn't like the rich. I didn't like the the way the business is conducted and how we affected communities and, and people's life where I grew up. I blamed the large businesses for a lot of problems that we were facing in communities. And I had no visibility from the training or education, or I didn't even have anyone who has done this before. So it would be, I would be um, completely alien on the business world thinking that I would be in this field. And no one who had done this were around me either. We were all factory workers, farmers, and, and, and some students that just graduated from school that came and helped me. Uh, by the time we wake up in 2012, they told us that we have broke some records and no one has done this before. And what 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 do you think that, you know, the reason for this? Um, and I think it comes back this forgotten communities and, and uh, abandoned communities, abandoned people by just in a high sky buildings, by just looking at, you know, documents and saying we're profits and loss documents, uh, Francis, that we really don't see the most valuable thing, which is the human spirit. And, and I was lucky enough to see when I visited that plant first time, simply because my background as a nomadics, we pay a lot of attention to people before we pay attention to, you know, what they have, what their what uh, worth is. So interesting. That brings me to a question, though, about uh, America itself, because that's what we're trying to do in this show is talk about. Was there something about America that made you understand how those things could work here? You mentioned the small business administration loans, but could you have done this in Canada or Australia, do you think? Or was that something intrinsically American that that let you make these huge advances quickly? Um, so, so basically, um, how did I change from the perspective of I would never do business to see that factory and say, I can buy this and make something about it? Is basically that's the magic of the land, right? That's the magic right. in the air. That you could actually dream, you could actually believe that you could do things. And you, for in my case, I knew this was going to be hard, but the hardship was, gonna, was not going to be because there will be a lot of pushback from external. Just because I came from a different country, I was an immigrant. I mean, for a data point, in that little town, South Edmiston, I think I was the second person who had an accent. The first person was Frank, who was from Sicily, who opened the pizza shop in town. And I was the second guy. So they had not even seen a person from Turkey before, right, in that community. But yet, I built friendship, I built family in there. We were just one. Um, and I think this. This magic is something that you cannot make it. it either you, you have it or you don't, right? So you go to a community. And I think, I think there's, there's also the part that I was coming from a perspective of always been that way. I don't know what it was. I always wanted to find similarities between me and the new places that I have always gone than the differences. Uh, and what I found is, you know, where I grew up uh, in the next to Euphrates River, or, or the community was the next to Shenango uh, River, where I was, that we had enormous amount of similarities. <clears throat> so coming back to your question, yes, this is a land that someone like me can come and be himself and herself 
and bring the authentic uh, creativity into work because there's an enormous amount of welcoming that you, you sense it. I want to ask you in a little bit more about the sort of the philanthropy and the, the other goals you have. But first, let me ask you a couple of questions purely about yogurt. And one is, what's next in yogurt? We had a fantastic story about uh, man-made dairy um, over the weekend. Uh, we've seen all sorts of changes in yogurt. What comes next in, in yogurt from your point of view? Is there a new transition we should anticipate? Yeah, I think, I think the, you know, the, the, I hope that we can get, we can take some credits from this. Um, I always thought with yogurt, we can break the barriers of where people live or what kind of income they have, and they can have an access to simple, perfect cup of yogurt. And when I started, I said, you know, um, you know, cup of yogurt won't change the world, but how you make it might, it could, it, it is that magical food. Uh, and, and all I want to do right from the beginning is, I would make a cup of yogurt that I can serve to my, myself and my, my family when I have it one day. Then I can ask others comfortably to give it to their children and their family members. This is what the simplest food could be. Um, I think the, the part that when I arrived looking at those ingredients and, you know, you don't know if you're reading a yogurt ingredients or a paint ingredients. I mean, that is just uh, mind <laughs> Uh, and why, why the corporations making this so complicated? And then you can have so many ideas why that is. Um, I think that offering that simplicity, that nutrition, um, and that accessibility with it, uh, and bringing people to this life, uh, and, and people have a different perspective of seeing the yogurt. And that applies to all the food that we consume today. I think there's been an enormous amount of transformation in the last 10 years, um, and continue to innovate I think port port uh, portability is extremely important, like drinkable yogurts, which we have launched and is doing really well. Uh, the mix-ins, you know, we like crunchy, we like nuts, and we like, uh, you, know, uh, you know, some other uh, ingredients that can go along with the yogurt that we cannot pre-mix. That's going really well. And then how do we push the boundaries and say, hey, can I remove the lactose and sugar while I'm making authentic, really good yogurt? And I spent a lot of time in the last two years, and we launched the Chobani Zero, which is the natural uh, billions of probiotics in and in a, in a really uh, nutrition of yogurt, which is a high proteins um, and calcium. We launched that. I think it is just this, without giving up the ultimate quality, there's so much room to innovation. Uh, and when you look at yogurt consumption in America, we are still, you know, half of per capita in Canada and maybe four to eight times uh, per capita in Europe. So we still have a long way to go. And I always say when it comes to yogurt, America is underdeveloped. <laughs> uh, Hamdi, we've had a lot of interest from readers and I want to go to a, a, or viewers and I want to go to a viewer question now that really sort of resonates in your own personal experience as uh, an immigrant, but also in the kinds of people you have hired at Chobani, who I think include maybe as many as 30% immigrants and refugees. And this question comes to us from the Netherlands. It comes from Hollis Kurman and Hollis asks, how can you best convince other companies as well as the US government and population that offering refugees and immigrants the opportunity to participate in the economy is not only the right thing to do, but also makes economic sense? Great question from the Netherlands. Such an amazing question. Thank you, Hollis, for this question. I love Netherlands. We started that effort and I'll come to you in a second. 
Um, when I started Chobani, when we hired everybody back in that community that used to work in that factory, we expanded into Utica, where I used to live. It's a small, mid-sized town, uh, about 30 miles uh, north of the town that I had the factory. And I realized, and they told me that there are legally settled refugees in this town that they were having a hard time finding jobs. So I went to re refugee settlement agency. This is early days of Chobani, I would say 2009. And I said, what is the, uh, what's the problem? And they said, well, you know, they have right to work. They are eager to work, but they don't speak the language. Uh, often they don't have driver license and cars. And then there's the, the other dimension that unfamiliarity that people are having, you know, a little bit shy away from it. So I said, why don't we start? We're hiring everybody. For me, it was a, a community involvement. And I wanted everybody in the community to come be part of this, uh, this journey. And I said, why don't we hire some cars and buses? We get some translators and we train them in, in the factory. And I'm pretty sure that our people in the plant and our community will welcome them. Um, that journey has started not just, hey, what can I do for refugees and immigrants? I wanted to open these doors and walls to everyone in the community, regardless of their background. That was my back. Uh, that was my 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 initial thoughts. As it came to 2015-16, and this topic refugee became really high on, you know, public opinion, a lot of conversations, a lot of conversation on political platform, and often I heard a lot of negativity. It, it hurt me because these were my brothers and sisters. And I would rely most of our Chobani success to people in our plants. And of course, they are directly involved on Chobani's growth and Chobani's success because of what they have contributed. And it bothered me. And I brought a TV station and said, well, these are all my brothers and sisters. We work shoulder to shoulder together. What is the problem? Why are we so negative about talking about refugees? They are the people who are forced to leave. And often they lose everything they have right, their jobs, their homes, and most of the time their loved ones, and they go through this enormous difficult journey, and when they come to a new community, they are ready to get back to life, they're ready to participate, they're ready to uh, be part of the community and provide to their homes and, and their, their children and family members. And I went to Geneva and see how I can help refugees the, that, that attack, uh, you know, Yazidis, and when I realized that there were no businesses involved in this topic refugee, other than a few on providing some tents and some, some, some blankets, knowing what has happened at Chobani and from my live experience, and I thought if I could create something that asked companies and businesses to hire, train, and advocate for refugees, this would be something interesting. So I launched Tent Partnership for Refugees in 2016. Um, and today, TENT is organized in Europe uh, and America, um, and we have 300 large companies, part of TENT Partnership Refugees. And I am pleased, actually, I can't, you know, have this, you know, mindset that we solve this problem, but I am pleased how American companies and now European companies are participating in a very active way. Uh, of hiring training refugees simply because data is very real. What data shows you is the minute you hire the refugees, that's the minute they, the refugee stop being a refugee. That's the minute they stand on their own feet, that's the minute they, they provide to their families, that's the minute 
they feel like human being again because they, they don't want handouts. They really want a second chance for them to participate in life. On the second part, this is really good for business. And you know, we've done a lot of economic studies. We have done a lot of market studies. What happens on the productivity, what happens on innovation, what happens on culture of those companies is something that you cannot capture with value. And the third thing is we really don't have any other chance, right? These are the people who are ready to get into work and ready to participate in life. And if we are going to isolate them, and if we are not going to be conscious of them, it's going to be, the problem is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So the best solution for us is for companies and businesses to come and participate in this also for refugees and immigrants, but also for the companies. And we just launched our Sunflower project in Europe. I was there two weeks ago in UK and Paris, and we're going to have in June our, our business summit where we have tens of hundreds of companies already participating, committing to hire Ukrainian women refugees in Europe uh, for them to be part of, uh, part of life again. So this model, I am pleased that I took it from Chobani example and, and, and through TENT, we applied to US, we applied to Europe, and now we are going to South America and other parts of the world. So Hamdi, to what extent do you think you, you, you were fortunate to be part of a movement? Because it seems to me there's a new understanding of the importance of food. We've always known it, but the importance of food to build bridges. And I think of the work Jose Andres does and Immigrant Food, a restaurant that's just opened here, um, the book The Bread and Salt Between Us by a Syrian refugee, all these sort of um, cultural uh, and uh, and economic and indeed political uh, movements that 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 show us the centrality of food to creating bridges between communities. Oh my God, um, food is magic, right? Um, it doesn't matter where you come from. Um, you you celebrate with food. You gather around food. You know, this kitchen table is the most magical spot in the house. Uh, you share the sadness with around food. Um, and generosity comes through the food. Food is, uh, if you look at food only just um, a physical thing, then you really, you really miss the vast majority of the meaning of food. Food for soul, food for heart, food for community, right? So it can only happen if the food is good. You know, start from the good food. And, and then you can build everything around it. And I think there is this dimension of uh, let's um, get together around food and let's solve most critical problems around food by sharing, uh, by making together and by providing together. Um, I, think, I think that 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 sense, and I was with Andreas um, yeah, yes, day before yesterday in, 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 in Austin. Uh, what he has done, and, and just recent as it is, what he's done in Turkey in, through the earthquake, right? The second day, uh, we heard him, he was already in the, in the ground and getting the food makers together and immediately um, immediately working to ease the pain and, and, and provide for the needs. And same thing in Ukraine and everywhere else. But you look at all the chefs, all the people in the community, whether wherever you go, the first thing that you reach out and you give something with your hand is food. Right? I made something and I brought it for you. And when I started um, Chobani, I had this, this, I was looking for, for a name and I came up with Chobani and Chobani means shepherd and I grew up with shepherd. And if you follow, if you visit a shepherd up in the mountains, 
they, he won't have so much to give it to you. And of course, if there are he or she shepherds, they're always, um, um, you'll always find them. But what they will give you is a, a cup of yogurt, a bread that ha- he, you know, he has, or, or, or a cup of milk. And there is a living thing that's called shepherd's gift. It means that it's not too valuable that it comes from heart. And I think this, this effort of shepherd's gift is needed more now than ever before, right? We have to go into the communities. And as this giving is a very, very sensitive thing, and, and we have to be mindful of that, every act of giving can break something on the side of who's receiving. And it's a very Anatolian thing too, but it's also very global. And we have to be very mindful as philanthropists is how we do that act. And every time we give, not to break something, but be a platform of building something without breaking that value that one who's receiving. And I think what I find in that dimension is creating a platform for others to build life for themselves is the best way of giving. So I want to ask you just a little about the Biden administration's recent moves. Uh, Immigration has been such a, a hot topic in the previous administration and even in this one, as the administration has introduced regulations that could push back against giving asylum eligibility to people who come through Mexico uh, to this country. What's your take on this and and broadly how to manage um, the debate? Because you talk so so, um, eloquently about your own experience uh, and how to manage the, the, the discussion in this country about immigration. Um. You know, it comes to the beginning of your conversation, Francis, is the the culture, of course, the, the history of this country where people came from all over the world and built this built this country, this built this built America, built communities in America, is the backbone of this country, right? And you hear this from all sorts of political spectrum. Um, you know, when President Bush uh, asked me if he could paint my picture, and I said. That's huge. What, what is going on here? And he said, well, I, I value immigration a lot and, and I worry about it, that we, we go to a different direction. And of course, he says it in the most beautiful way. It, it, it is very common knowledge and understanding, and it's very firm that immigration is the fuel for this country, what it is America today. Uh, and I have been to the border, right? I've, I've been to just before pandemic. It was during the pandemic, I'm sorry. I was in... Texas and I was at the border and I have seen it. And, and 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 when I say this, I've been to borders before. I've been to Venezuela and Colombian border when the refugees are you know passing. I've been to an island where the Greek, you know, the Syrian refugees passing to the islands to build Greece. And recently I was in Poland and in a border when the Ukrainians were passing when a year ago when when uh, when the infl- uh, invasion started. It's always tragedy in that border. And what I saw in Texas is something that needs to be stopped. It needs to be prevented. The human tragedy is in the highest place. So uh, I am not um, going to sit here and say, hey, let's, you know, get people through the borders and, uh, you know, let this continue. I think there's something needs to be happening. And it's both sides of the borders. This, needs, this experience needs to be humane, controlled and planned. And I think what Vice President has done with starting the Central America initiatives, which I have been part of, creating business 
businesses to go to the areas where most of the problems are economic and create an environment that there's hope for them not unplanned leaving this harsh travel can be can be um, can be um, controlled and I think within like two years getting hundreds of companies committing an enormous amount of investments and it's it's a good thing for business as well you can see every time that you bring business community uh, a part of uh, this kind of initiatives, there is a there's a fast solution can come, and I think I love this you know visa solution that they brought you know that they, they can be controlled visa coming in. Now I come from Idaho, I have a large factory in Idaho. Shobani has a large factory in upstate New York, and I give you from the Idaho perspective, vast majority of farm workers in Idaho are undocumented immigrants. So there is this reality that there is need for workforce. Right. I mean, if 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 you eliminate that reality, there will be no milk, there will be no potatoes. That's just reality. And so there is a need. There is this crisis and there is a way that we can make this, uh, you know, in a more humane way. Um, I think from the large, large perspective, from the refugee perspective, there's a tradition of America is receiving refugees for years and years and years. I mean, the last four years has been, uh, you know, it, it was it was postponed or it was called, I guess, say. That's more like uh, UNHCR, registered refugees, and then there is this background checks for years and years, and then the people arrive, and when they arrive, they have right to work, and it's a very controlled, um, planned experience, other than what happened with the Af Afghan refugees that arrive in a very quick way, mm -hmm. and then the Ukrainian refugees arrive in a quick way. This process is really, really planned and more um, calm way that it happens. So I think I think the border situation and the refugee program is are two different things, and we have to look at it from a both perspective. What I, I what I say is every time you look at things, it's not I'm against it, I'm for it. I think it's a deeper understanding is extremely needed, and then there's a way to make this more humane and uh, and, and and both for border and people who are passing, for people who are um, who are affecting on the other side. Hamdi Ulukaya, I have so many questions I would love to ask you, but we have to finish. And I love finishing on that note of humanity and bringing people together. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I'm so I'm so happy to be with you and, and, and hope to see you again. Thank you, Francis. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.